ever thrown you the curveball that you weren't sure what to do with? You know, the kind where you think someone should really do something about this. Have you ever thought maybe that someone is me and then found yourself on a grand adventure you never saw coming? Me too. As a special needs mom, I have been saddened by what's available to my son. But instead of wallowing in it, I decided to do something about it. Along the way, I'm meeting extraordinary people and having the most wonderful experiences I never thought I'd have. I'm so inspired by what's happening around me that I want to share it all with you. Living Your Legacy is a community where ordinary people who've been called to create something bigger than themselves can come together to be inspired, connect, learn, and live into the legacies they want to see in the world. I'm your host, Michelle Slaney Travato, and this is the Living Your Legacy podcast. Hello, everyone. Michelle Saini Travato here. I want to take a moment to thank you for being your awesome self and for tuning into the Living Your Legacy show, where we interview legacy makers and the professionals who support us. Because you know, folks, none of us gets there alone. And today, I have a really good story of inspiration to share with you. A lady who has overcome so many things and is now looking actively for ways to give back. And if that's not legacy making, I don't know what is. So let me introduce her to you and we can jump right in and hear her story. I'd like to introduce you to my guest, Priya Tandon. I love Priya. She's so sweet. Uh, Priya is a mom advocate who talks about autism and neurodevelopmental services. She's an intuitive and transformational guide and a coach emphasizing self-actualization and authentic human connections. We're going to dig into all that about what that is. Her clientele generally are special needs parents and their families. She also works with women from long-term and often challenging relationships or pasts. She is a certified yoga instructor bringing guided meditation to her sessions and encourages conscious living, which we're going to need to define what that is for sure. Her passion is building people up by opening the doors for profound realization, knowing themselves and enhancing their relationship with themselves first. Priya is also a writer and editor, publishing her articles in Coaching Perspectives, Medium and Elephant Journal. Priya is currently working on furthering a company she founded called Exonium. Exonium provides a secure, exclusive database and employment site for employers to connect with neurodivergent candidates. And that speaks right into my heart as a special needs parent. Exonium Uh, Exonium's vision will include offering employers education and training on supporting divergent colleagues and developing an autism-friendly workplace. If you're a special needs mom, you need to hear this story. So Priya, welcome so much to being on the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much again, Michelle. So glad to be here on this platform with you. Awesome. So Priya, you have a really interesting story to tell, but let's take it way back because I want to pick up on some of the threads of what was in your bio here. When you were in grade four and the teacher asked you what you want to be when you grow up, an intuitive and transformational guide and coach, well, that doesn't even make it to the top million list because I'm pretty sure those words weren't really used in coaching uh, when we were kids. So tell us a little bit about your journey and how it got you here. So you're absolutely right, uh, Michelle. When I was in fourth grade, I don't think I even knew what these words ever meant. As far as I remember, at that time, I wanted to be a cop. (laughs) I'm always curious about what people's little kid dreams were. Yeah, I wanted to be a cop because I was uh, so in all of this lady police officer back home in India. Uh, She was the first, uh, you know, woman uh, officer. And uh, I was just in like, you know, I just wanted to be like her. That's amazing. I still remember her name. Uh, Her name is Kiran Bedi. And uh, I I, I still follow her. (laughs) That's much how I was in awe of her. Um, So she 
it has been inspiring to me, but there were experiences in my life uh, that became more inspiring for me to do good for others as much as I am able to. And uh, those experiences started uh, with my marriage, uh, which was uh, um, not a good relationship to begin with. That led to me to be in touch uh, with my sensitive side that I knew somewhere had existed right from the childhood. But when you are growing up, there are so many expectations levied on you, you know, whether it is, you know, parental, whether it is societal, there's a lot of like cultural conditioning and other kind of conditioning that happens that when you really start to get in touch with yourself, mm -hmm. you realize that, okay, you know, there are few things now I need to really unlearn, unschool, if you will. Yeah. So that's exactly uh, what happened with me. And um, I worked in a career which was, you know, highly corporate and uh, it just did not fit with me because at the end of the day, my work, my passion is if whatever I'm doing, whatever I am indulging in, how is it that serving anyone, mm -hmm. if at all? So in corporate career, I saw there were project deadlines and, uh, you know, things to be met. And but I never saw, you know, where it was going and how it will help on a bigger scale. Mm -hmm. So uh, then I had. Uh, I have two children. Uh, one is 15, uh, who is absolutely my rock. And second one is 12 years old. Uh, he is autistic. And uh, with his diagnosis came so many challenges. Mm -hmm. So many challenges as if, you know, one is climbing the Mount Everest, but without oxygen. Mm -hmm. So... And, and I can talk about the learnings, you know, from my experience, uh, you know, how I came to about just accepting myself, not only his diagnosis, but also accepting myself as a special needs parent. Um, you know, there are so many learnings that I can share um, in the hope that it can help one of your listeners. But that experience also, again and again, uh, brought out my side that what am I doing you know really what am I doing is it helping anyone mm -hmm. so um, I went ahead and uh, did a certification in life coaching mm -hmm. and from there after my relationship ended it was a long 20-year relationship that ended um, I gave myself time to heal um, and um, I also embarked upon this experience of not only getting the certification in life coaching, a total 360 degree turn from a corporate, you know, information technology career to now, you know, life coaching mm -hmm. and uh, just building upon that experience. Um, I wanted to not only share that experience, but find out ways how I can help. And from there, uh, you know, I got in touch with my intuitive side. And when I advanced it, it turned into my coaching practice as an intuitive and transformational coach. And now I have two sets of clients. Uh, one are the women that I absolutely love to empower and to see women thrive. Mm -hmm coming out of these relationships. And also uh, the other set is, are these special needs parents, uh, you know, who, like, I remember my experience when I got the diagnosis, I was lost. Mm -hmm. I, I grieved, I, I was lost. I don't know where to go. I have a degree in psychology, but that degree failed me like anything. Mm -hmm. I did not know where to go. I mean, and just the journey of, you know, accepting uh, the diagnosis of autism for my son and, 
you know, my new status quo as a special needs parent, uh, you know, that was just the beginning. Mm-hmm. And uh, here I am, you know, now I have founded this company, Exonia. And uh, my vision is uh, not only provide the life coaching services to the special needs parents, but also, you know, how to bridge that gap between neurodivergent and inclusive, uh, you know, employers. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, how to train the employer so that, you know, all those accommodations are offered. Mm-hmm. Uh, for these individuals at work, because if we, I mean, look into the statistics of it, 85% of, uh, you know, neurodivergent individuals, they are struggling to find a job. Mm-hmm. That is a huge number, yeah. you know, and, you know, just having, and I am personally, you know, I do not believe in the label. I do believe that everyone has that one inherent uh, talent, if you will, or, you know, potential, if you will, one just have to find it. So just going by the label does not sit well with me, whether it is, you know, autistic, whether it is, you know, whatever ADHD, whatever label, you know, one assigns in medical term, I want to look at it at a holistic level. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, my son is an individual. And if someone comes and tells me that, you know, he's autistic, so he is unemployable, that is not going to sit well with me. Mm-hmm. So the birth of Exonium as a company um, that I am just uh, gearing up to go. Amazing. I love that. Now, there's a whole lot of things you said there that I, I want to sort of pick apart and look at. And thank you for sharing your story. Um, so uh, in a previous little blurb, you had talked about the words that you used to describe yourself or life when your first son was born. Could you go over that again with us? <laughs> uh, well, when my first one was born, I was ecstatic. Like I was like so happy just you know holding him in my arms because I wanted to be there Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a mother and um but I remember um you know as any other new mom you know you're up night you're you know you're breastfeeding and Mm -hmm. you know diapers need to be changed Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know the drill (laughs) A lot of us know that drill. As a new mom, new mom, how much we struggle. Mm-hmm. So I would describe myself as I was overworked, uh, you know, holding down a full-time job. And being a new mom, I was overworked. I was a tiny bit cranky. <laughs> but most of the time, I was full of that mischievous grin that I always had on my face Mm -hmm. because I was so in love with my firstborn Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like everything was fine when I looked at his face so Mm -hmm. that was me you know as a new mom Mm -hmm. and I remember you know when I put him into the daycare and he was about nine months at that time and um I was so petrified of this whole experience of taking your child to the daycare but since I was working full-time then Mm -hmm. that is the place to go and I did my research god knows how many daycares locally I Mm -hmm. went and looked for and then settled down on one and I remember sitting in the principal's office in the daycare and the principal, uh, you know, God bless her, <laughs> Nicole. And she had like this uh, TV that fed into like the classroom. And one of it was, of course, my son's classroom. Mm-hmm. And she was so supportive. She would say, come here and sit down in my office and watch from the TV, but do not go <laughs> in his class. Yeah. You know? So that was like so much for me at that time. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so hard. I cannot do this. I Mm got to quit, you know, but you go through it. My son settled down. 
everything it was okay. Mm -hmm. And then comes my second one. And when I started with the challenges with the second one, that experience became like almost like nothing in front of the challenges that I had to face. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you hear that your child has disabilities, it's, um, it's like the world stops moving for a few minutes. Yes. You know, you're really in this place of what? Yes. Even if you have suspicions that something is not totally going the way the books tell you it should go, it's still, you know, your heart skips a beat for a minute and you think, what does this mean? What does this mean for my child's life? What does this mean for me? You know, there's, there's not very many, well, there's lots of parenting books out there, like what to expect in the first year and books like that. But there's not a lot of books that are like what to expect in the first year when your child has disabilities. I don't know that there is one. And so you have to think about the books you got and then think about, well, that's not going to be the way it works for my kid. I don't know what that's going to look like. There's no book or guide or anything to help me because disabilities, I mean, two children with the same disability, it does not impact them the same way. It can manifest in very different ways. So there is no, you know, by six months, your child should be sitting up and, you know, by nine months, they could be rolling over or crawling. Like none of those things now apply. No, like they may do this, they may not. Yes, they may do that, they may not. Right, and here you are in this world where you're kind of alone. And I like the way you said it. It's like climbing Everest, but without any oxygen. Absolutely, absolutely. Like I remember when I heard that diagnosis, and I mean, first of all, you know, like I was told by an unnamed doctor that my son would not amount to anything. So imagine hearing something like that. And, you know, like I I remember just muttering like some curse words under my breath and walking away. I might have said them very out loud. (laughs) I hear you. I hear you. Like there were like really some F-bombs dropped. But, you know, it's like a, you know, like an incarcerated, like, you know, some statement has been passed to you. Mm -hmm. And like, how do you deal with that? Mm -hmm. And, but that day was also my awakening where I said that, no, you know, I'm going to prove you wrong. I love that. Because it is so easy to get lost in the sadness and the anger of those words right? They yeah. make you very mad. They make that you very sad as very a parent. Sad. And then I love that your response was like, oh yeah, bring it. Yeah, bring I'm it. going exactly. to. <laughs> exactly. Because my son was, you know, nonverbal. Like he, he had like limited uh, verbal ability and to, for a doctor, a medical professional to tell it to my face that your son will not amount to anything is totally unacceptable. Mm-hmm. But on the hindsight, you know, it led me to this thirst for knowledge, you know, for, you know, okay, like you said, you know, yeah, I'm going to show you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that was the beginning of me being that mom advocate for my son, because who else, who else mm-hmm. is going to advocate, right? That's right. Yeah, there is a, you know, grieving process that one goes through, and that is I feel there is a big sense of loss Mm -hmm. when you hear that kind of a diagnosis because, you know, the diagnosis equates to to the loss of one, what you had expected, what you knew, like, you know, how you were mentioning the book you know, what to expect when you're expecting. And there are like whole chapters, like, you know, this happens in six months, 12 months, one year, this is the milestone. Mm -hmm. But in this case, there are no milestones. You're just hoping and hoping and hoping and praying and praying lots of prayers, Mm -hmm. right? So grief is inevitable, Mm -hmm. right? But I feel that what was essential for me was to realize that yeah, that there is this process of grief, there is this sense of loss, 
But as a parent, if I do not advocate, then who else will for him? Yep. You touched on two very important pieces there. Um, and, and it's important, I think, to address the grieving process. Um, I don't know of any parent who walked away from a diagnosis of disabilities and said, that is perfect. It's exactly what I wanted to hear today. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly, that's yay. That's the child that I was hoping for. Right. right. Um, it's, it's not, it is a loss of the child you thought you were going to have. Right. right. The first experience with your oldest child was such predominantly a pleasurable one. Lots of sleepless nights and poopy diapers. Right. Um, but you said you were a little bit grumpy, but mostly happy. In this case, um, it's a complete role reversal. You're finding yourself mostly confused and fearful. Right. You don't know what's coming. You don't, will my child hit this milestone? I don't, I don't know. And nobody can yeah. tell me. Yeah. Um, you encounter professionals who, um, whether they do it intentionally or unintentionally, it's almost like they, they suck the hope out of you, right? Because they say, well, your child won't amount to much. Or I heard your child may never walk. Your child may never talk. Your child may never do this or that. And the may never for some people becomes a will never. Yes. And it's so easy to to get lost in the grief of that, in the sorrow of that. It's so easy to become angry and bitter. Yes. Um, and being angry is part of it. At some point, I'm sure you felt like I did. Like, why my kid? That's not yeah, fair. Why me? Yeah, why why, me? me? why yeah. Who decided that I was strong enough to handle this? Right. Like, I don't want to be strong. That's right. I, I want to go like hide it. in my bed and pull the covers over my head and say, exactly. may I just go away? Don't call me strong. I don't want to be called strong. You know, I like pamper me. Exactly. <laughs> I want to feel the joy that I felt the other time. Like, I, I want that. I yeah. want all the regular mommy groups. I want to be a part of all those regular discussions. And yeah. now... Now, when you're having all those conversations, oh, my child rolled over. Oh, my child did this. Oh, my child did that. I feel sad and worried because I yes. can't participate because my child didn't. And I yes. don't know if I have a son too, if he will. Right. Yes. And so that's a, that's a kind of a lonely place to be and a very scary place. So there's that piece of it. And we do need to address that because that grief and that loss of the dream that you had for this child, the life you kind of envisioned, um, you do need to renegotiate that whole thing. Yes. And I love that your renegotiation was listening to that doctor and thinking to yourself, well, that's your opinion, but not mine. And now I'm about to go out and do something different. And you talked about becoming a mom advocate. It's so important because earlier we talked about like, I don't want to be strong. That's not me. But the reality is you become very strong. You yes. become an advocate and nobody who is an advocate would ever say that they, they don't have to be strong. You have to be strong for this role. You may right. not feel it. And there's lots of days where I certainly don't, I think still, and my son is almost 19 as of this recording. There's days where I think, I don't think I can put one foot in front of the other today. I definitely yeah. want to stay in bed and pull the covers over my head and say, somebody else, right. please just deal please. with all of this. Yes. yes. Right. I'm out. I'm right. out. I'm out. Time out. Time out. Mama needs a break. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hear you completely. I mean, there are days where I don't even want to hear the word autism. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And I, and, you know, if I can share this with you, like I have spoken about it before, um, you know, among groups and among friends as well. And sometimes it is taken uh, for, that, you know, Priya, you have to accept that mm -hmm. you have a special needs child. It's not about acceptance. I'm a human. Let's not forget that. I'm a human. And sometimes I do buckle down. As much as, you know, people say that, hey, you're so strong. I wonder how you're doing it all by yourself. You know, the reality is I do buckle down because I'm human. Mm -hmm. And let's not diminish that. 
Yep. Tears in the bathroom with the door closed. So the kids and a music on or a tap running. So nobody hears you. Nobody hears you. So Mm -hmm. let's not diminish that. And this is for all the other moms also who are listening right now to your podcast that it's okay. It is okay. The only way I think to push through it, and I've heard all the same things you just talked about. I don't know how you do it, Michelle. I don't know how you do it all. And the reality is I I don't do it all and I don't do it all well. <laughs> just, yeah. Sometimes some it's a, and yeah, some days are, you know, you're the mud and other days you're the lotus flower or some days you're the statue and some days you're the pigeon. Another way to look at it, right? Some days you're holding it all together and you are a pillar of strength and courage. And then another day you're just the thing the pigeon drops its poop on. Exactly. <laughs> right? Like I totally feel you on all those things, but yet let's talk about being an advocate because I I think we need to define what that is. Um, You know, you hear people say things like, well, the squeaky wheel gets, you know, gets the oil or the grease. And yeah, to some extent that's true, but sometimes the squeaky wheel just gets replaced because nobody wants to deal with the squeaky anymore. Right? Thank you for being a part of the Living Your Legacy podcast community in 2022. We can honestly say 2023 is going to be an exciting year. We've got some new things going on that we'd like to share with you. The Living Your Legacy podcast is now offering advertising spots. We found many entrepreneurs spent lots of money on advertising last year, only to find that they weren't falling in front of their ideal audience. We'd love to help you get your message out. Let's discuss this. Click the link in the show notes to book a time to chat and see if this could be a good fit for you. So let's talk about advocacy and what that looks like for you. So what does that mean for you in your world, being a mom advocate? Well, um, if I may share a small experience from, you know, my life only, there was a time when I was called to my son's school every day at noon because of something all the or the you know else you know meltdown. Your son had a meltdown because he was non-verbal. There were some behavioral mm-hmm. problems where he would pick up things and just throw. Mm-hmm. I had to fight for those kind of accommodations with the school. And I was that squeaky wheel for the IEP team, for the teachers, for everyone in the school. But in the end, when I moved from that school district to another one because I changed locations, the same teachers came and they actually thanked me for being a foresighted mother and an advocate for my son. So the whole thing about advocacy is that you have to speak up. That doesn't mean that now I lost respect for those teachers. Whenever I spoke, I spoke with utmost respect for the teachers, for the caregivers, whosoever, therapist, whosoever worked with my children, because I recognize the kind of work that they do, which is priceless. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not a special needs teacher. I don't know how they do it. I just recently started uh, homeschooling my son and oh boy. <laughs> that is a whole <laughs> lesson right there, isn't it? Whole, whole learning right there. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing of, of, for advocacy is that, uh, you know, in simple terms, we say, you know, you see something, you say something, uh, you know, we talk about that when we are, you know, teaching about bullying in schools. Mm-hmm. But as a special needs parents, it translates into, you know, you know your son best. Mm-hmm. You know your child best. Yeah. You know, you know the inside and out. You know the every face expression. Mm-hmm. You know, you know the every sniffle. Mm-hmm. So if you don't, nobody will. 
you know mm -hmm. so you have to go and speak up and talk about your son's needs and for mm -hmm. special needs families it is very very important to ask for accommodations and that goes so much high further up that even in workplaces statistics show that workers the individuals who get those kind of accommodations do much better than the ones who did not mm -hmm. so as special needs families for for them very important to see and apply your common sense you know mm -hmm. like i like i was saying you know i have a degree in psychology but that degree totally failed me you know it's yeah. all about common sense you know your child yep nobody else that. is gonna come in mm -hmm. and you know start you know, the teachers and the therapists, they do their best. But again, you have to reinforce, you have to speak up, mm -hmm. but with utmost respect. You are absolutely right. Um, you know, the people, the specialists who are working with our kids are important. They, they have a job to do. Um, and they are skilled in the job set. So whether it's a physical therapist or an occupational therapist or a special needs teacher or a special education assistant, they're skilled. Uh, but sometimes their skill set is their, their job. So their, their physiotherapy or special education, it is not your child. So um, what they're doing is in their, their wheelhouse, their zone of genius. Yeah. Your yeah. zone of genius is your child. So being respectful that they have super skills in their zones, in their wheelhouses, but you know your child, you can advocate positively. I love that. You said, I did it with the utmost respect. It's about coming in and saying, you know, uh, for example, the lunchtime thing. I heard that and thought all behavior is communication. So there yeah. was some, there was some kind of trigger going on that your son was communicating. I'm not okay with this and yes. using the tools he had, which was pick up something and throw it. It makes people stop right <laughs> right away. Usually yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now we, we laugh at that. It's not funny yeah. in the situation. It is a bit scary to be on the receiving end yeah. if you're ducking things in a classroom, like for sure. Yes. But that can lead to a conversation that says, so we're seeing this behavior. What do you notice at home? Is there particular things that can trigger your son? Those are such useful pieces of information for a professional who might then say, okay, I'm going to go back now and look at the situation here. So maybe your son had sensitivity to sound and there was a very loud kid that showed up at lunchtime. That could be enough. So maybe what we need to do is structure it so that they eat separately. Do you know what I mean? Like it, once you sort of figure out Here's your skill set. Here's my skill set. Let's put it together and see what magic we can come up with. Then it's incredible what you can. Yeah. On the yeah. other side, though, people do sometimes think I need to come in and be very aggressive. You're not right. doing your job. And right. There is a time and a place for that. It's not step one, though. Like that's not the way to no. advocate as step one, because if you no. start there, you've got nowhere else to go. No, no, because you are just then closing the doors, mm -hmm. not only on yourself, but who is get, getting impacted the most is your child. So always remember that the key word for me always has been collaboration, whether it is teachers, therapists, individuals, parents. When I work it, you know, in my coaching practice, it is always how can we collaborate? Mm -hmm. You know, the goal is, you know, how can we improve and situation? How can we, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, the individual is progressing mm -hmm. and you also have to determine when to push, when to pull back. Mm -hmm. And that requires a lot of common sense and, mm -hmm. you know judgment but i feel it is very very important to collaborate as a first step i know you know there are uh you know i i have worked with individuals who outrightly are like you know you know I, i'm just gonna file this and you know i'm going to bring in 
the uh, special needs uh, attorney and, you know, this and that. You know, sometimes the situation does, you know, it, it does require that, you know, those situations sadly do exist as well. But generally speaking, collaboration is the way to go. You can that head has off a lot experience. of those things. Yeah, like yeah. you can sort of dead end that. Yeah. Um, and the other piece is too, I think as a mom, we have to remember that we're forging our reputation. So do how do you want to be seen as an advocate? Do you want to be welcomed where you're going? Or do you want them to be like, oh God, here she comes. And comes. they're like running away and hiding, right? Um, because you can't easily be that person. And if you get that reputation, it is very hard to have someone see you as a reasonable, rational human being after that, right? Right. Because they will talk. So in terms of advocacy, I love what you said there. And I would add another piece. You talked about collaboration and I would sort of say also asking questions. So I'm noticing that my son comes home and he's kind of upset at the end of the day. Is Is he seeming upset all through the day? Oh, well, no. Oh, does he seem upset to you at the end of the day? Uh, Because you're just, you're super sleuthing, right? You're putting on your detective hat and you're, you got your magnifying glass out now and you're going to look at the situation. But from a perspective of, I need to collaborate with you. I need to know your answers, not to attack you, but to figure out how we can jointly support my son. Oh, yes, I did notice he's a bit off at the end of the day. Is it happening kind of every day? Like, are you noticing it? Um, or could you note, take note for the next week? Like, let's just figure this out because I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I've often said for my son, he is functionally nonverbal. And sometimes he gets in the car and he's very upset. Um, and in those cases, that is when I phone or email and say, did something happen today? Because right. he cannot tell me. Or he'll try to tell me and I'll get bits and pieces of it. And then I'll reach out to the school and say, so I'm hearing this piece and this piece and this piece, but I really don't see the whole story. Did something happen? How can we, you know, figure this out? Because it, it often it's a situation of he's misunderstood something. Um, and so by having their feedback, then we can jointly reassure him that, in fact, he just misunderstood something. Everybody's okay. Right. But if I didn't have that relationship as an advocate, it becomes so hard to advocate for him because how do I even approach this situation? He's coming home upset, which upsets me. Right. So I love what you're suggesting there. Come in with the idea that we're trying to collaborate. Right. Right. Because otherwise our our children suffer. It's not so much me and you or the teacher or the therapist. Like, yes, we all feel bad. Absolutely. But it's our kids who suffer and we want to help them become better, stronger, more optimistic human beings for sure. Right. Right. It's just one team. There is no that you're on the opposite team and I am the parent team. It's one team. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. And so moving forward from that, you had talked about now, you know, you're writing and creating and supporting other special needs parents. What was sort of the driving force behind creating Exonium? So let's talk a little bit about that, because that is such a unique concept. I'd like to know where it came from and where you hope it'll go. Well, um, Exonium, you know, um, so Exonium as an organization, you know, its mission is to bridge the gap uh, between inclusive hiring companies and the neurodivergent talent. And the inspiration is just one sentence, which is special needs does not mean now unemployable. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I founded Exonium, it was my concern for the future of my own son. I saw his classmates and all the parents that I spoke to, they have the same concern what will happen as any other special needs parent. The biggest, the biggest worry is what will happen when I'm gone, mm-hmm. you know, which uh goes into a lot of other things but let's start with uh employment first 
So that was the inspiration uh, for the founding of this company that, you know, there were parents who voiced that, that what will happen? Mm-hmm. You know, once they graduate high school, mm-hmm. the state kind of like washes their hands off at the age of 21, let's say uh, 22 at the most. After that, what? Right. Mm-hmm. So that was the whole motivation for the company. And it has not been um, in practice for a long time. It has been a recently founded company. But um you know did, did i answer your question that that is the inspiration yes and, and i totally understand what you're saying in canada uh young people become adults at the age of 19 that is the age of majority here and you're right when you're moving from a childhood system to an adult system with a youth with disabilities it is a system of less than there is just less available, less supports, less opportunities. And as a parent, you have to be a stronger, more, much more proactive advocate um, because there's not as many people there to hold your hand and help you. In fact, there's there's very few and you have to go find them, um, yes. which requires a great deal of, of time and attention. And um, it can be very overwhelming. It's certainly very lonely. And... You spend an awful lot of time. I can't tell you how many meetings I've sat through because somebody thought it might be a good fit for us and think to myself afterwards, well, that's four hours of my life. I'll never get back. <laughs> like Nothing in there was connected to my son. I don't even know if this person knows my kid. Like, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. So you sit through all these things and you think, oh, my gosh, this is hard. And it is. Like flat out, it's hard. On top of all the other things you're doing, you're parenting another child. You actually have to pay the bills and work and all that other stuff. So I I understand completely what you mean there. And that worry about what will happen for my child. I mean, most, if you know, with your average neurotypical able-bodied kids, most parents kind of look forward to at least partially the time where they are self-sufficient and no longer reliant on them because they get their lives back, right? You get to travel without your children. You don't have to change diapers or cook meals for everybody because they can do their own thing. I mean, there's still a sense of of sorrow and loss because they don't need me as much as they did any, you know, when they were little, but still it's a hopeful place that they, you know, go out and have jobs and are productive members of society and love somebody and are loved by somebody and maybe have some kids or pet parents or whatever it is that, you know, travel the world and do all these amazing things. And we hold all that hope. For our kids with disabilities, we hold on to a lot more fear because who will employ them? Will they be able to live independently? Who's going to help them with the stuff they need help with? Um, Can they balance the budget? Do they even know, you know, that money is kind of a thing as a concept, Right. right? Can they, do they understand cause and effect? How much money is in your bank account is how much you can buy. Right, right. Like all these things. And then, so it's not, well, now I get my life back. It's now I need to work harder Harder. to help prepare them or to lay the foundation or to do what needs to be done to create services and systems around them. And it's never a, will I get my life back? It's, oh my gosh, what happens when I'm not here anymore? When I'm not here anymore. Absolutely. Right. And that's so heavy. Yeah. Oh, that's so heavy. Yeah. And, and you're right. Um, you know, you look at our kids, our neurotypical able-bodied kids out there getting jobs at McDonald's and restaurants and coffee shops and right. And grocery stores and Costco's and, and all those other places. And they're working their way up and learning some skills to try other jobs and working at summer camps or all those other wonderful things. And then you think, well, what's available for my child with disabilities? Right. There's got to be employers out there that would be willing right. to take the risk, but how do I find them? Yeah. Right. And again, not a lot out there. Certainly in Canada, there's sort of no matchmaking services to match up my kid with an awesome employer. <laughs> so that's, that's a whole that's just one section of that worry. So I love that 
instead of looking at this from a, oh my gosh, this is so hard that you're thinking that perspective is a total different thing for you. You're looking at it and thinking, well, now this is an opportunity, an opportunity for someone to say, hey, I'll do something about this and I will create a system and be that matchmaker for people with neurodivergencies and employers. And I'll go work with employers to help them understand that this isn't as big, bad and scary as they think it's going to be. Because of course, you know, you hear all the horror stories of people with disabilities doing this, that, or the other thing. And they think that that's what's going to happen. Or the accommodations are so big that they can't possibly do it. Or it's going to cost them so much extra and they can't possibly afford it. Right? Like all these pieces. It's it's not a charity. Like, you know, I've come across uh, when I have spoken to like some companies, like uh, the impression sometimes I get is that they're doing... uh, charitable act mm-hmm. you know by employing neurodivergent individuals by offering employment to neurodivergent individuals it's not a charity no you know? the reality is it can be quite good for business particularly mm-hmm. if it's a good match if the the job and the person in the job are a good fit it's actually great for business in canada um Often there's subsidies available for employers, meaning that they don't have to pay the full salary. The government will financially support them. That's a win for them and the person being employed. Um, If you get your head around the accommodations, often they're not super huge, big things. It's little tweaks, little things that need to be done a little bit differently or a little bit of understanding. Like Joe eats his lunch by himself because he finds it really noisy in the staff room and everybody's like, okay, so maybe somebody goes and sits with Joe or you go for a walk afterwards. Like it's an easy accommodation and it builds understanding and compassion in people. So that's a win. Also, uh, people with disabilities, uh, once they find a place they love, they tend to stay long term. Meaning from the employer's perspective, that's less job turnover. So that's a win. There's so many wins there, Um, you know, and again, you can have situations where um, the person with the neurodivergencies becomes like the cool kid on the block. They're the neat one because they do things a little bit differently and everybody's just cool with it. And again, for an employer, you can say, I am an equal opportunity employer and that's a win. Because people like me listen to stuff like that. I want to spend my money where I know people are employing people with disabilities. I want that business to stay in business because I want those people to keep their jobs. Because on a very personal note, I know what that feels like as a parent. That that takes away my the worry of some parent. And I love that. Right. Your child now is gainfully employed and a productive member of society. They can give back to the local economy by being able to purchase things. Right. Absolutely. I love what you're looking at there and that perspective. Right. If you can and talk to employers about it from that that way, that's that's a pretty easy sell, I would think. Absolutely, Michelle. All we need are some accommodation. I was looking at this uh, disability inclusion. They released a report and I was just looking at it in the morning and um, they said that uh, in areas specific to disability employment and inclusion, companies achieved on average 28% higher revenue. Twice the net income and 30% higher economic profit margins compared with other companies in the same sample. So why not employ the neurodivergent individuals? I mean, I cannot find a better statement Mm -hmm. to advocate for neurodivergent employment. I love that. And and, and this is all part of advocacy as well, you know, finding solutions. So this is... Totally it is. And I love that it's a win-win you're looking for. So 
Priya, I'd like to ask if employers are listening or watching the show, um, what would be some tips that you might give them or some suggestions if they're considering like, huh, I've never thought about this before, but now I am. What would be some action steps or tips that you would suggest? So I want to say that uh, first off, there has been a lot of progress in this area, as I see. There is a lot more acceptance. There is a lot more awareness. Mm -hmm. However, I feel that we are still scratching the surface. And the tips, in terms of tips, you know, I just want to say, you know, like I just read out from the Disability Inclusion Report one statement. I think it is very, very beneficial to the employers to employ neurodivergent individuals. And that statement was one uh, you know, piece of evidence. All we need are some accommodations, you know, whether it is, uh, let's say, you know, building a ramp, mm -hmm. you know, how much investment does it mean? I figure not a lot, right? Mm -hmm. But that can make a whole difference to one individual. Mm -hmm. Or right? a number of individuals who need the support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So many uh, people with disabilities, all they need are the right working conditions mm -hmm. in the workplace. Mm -hmm. You know, if a disabled person is, let's say, having trouble completing their work, as an example, then let's see what is the reason instead of just you know, okay, mm -hmm. this goes to, you know, the normal process of HR, hire, fire, you know, whatever mm -hmm. that process looks like. I think employers need to take in all the factors, you know, consider all the relevant factors and mm -hmm. create a workplace environment that facilitates success for everyone, mm -hmm. you know, rather than, you know, this 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 person this person this person again you know this is like i always like you know there is a um there is a sanskrit uh you know we say it wasn't which in loose translation means i'm not sure if i said it correctly but i can tell you what it means it means like one family one world one family so i i kind of i tend to stick by those you know, two words, mm -hmm. which is like, you know, there should be success and inclusion for all, not mm -hmm. one segment or this segment or this segment of people. Inclusion is relevant. Inclusion is required. Mm -hmm. And anyone who only works for profit and not inclusion, I think uh, we should actually call upon them because this the way economy is heading, the way the global market is is heading, you know, especially after the pandemic, everyone has been just working from home, you know. So this is and and, and might I add, like after the pandemic, uh, uh, the individuals, uh, you know, because a lot of, uh, for example, autistic individuals like to just you know work from home, and they have been provided those kind of accommodations, they thrived. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, like we took some time to adjust to work from home, maybe some of us, but the individuals who, you know, like the neurodivergent autistic individuals, especially, they thrived in that kind of an environment. So, you know, this is all one world, one family, and inclusion is the key going forward. Mm -hmm. for the success of not only that particular company, but if we look at at a global level, you know, globally as well, that is the way things are headed. And that is where everyone needs to go into that direction. You know, um, if a person has a wheelchair desktop, you know, let's build that ramp. Let's include that person in, instead of, you know, exclusion. 
Yeah, because I think too, I, when we're looking at that, it can help a lot of people. Um, you know, maybe there's somebody who's got arthritis and struggles with the stairs. Yeah. Like they're not, it's not an official diagnosed disability, but they'd love to have a ramp. Or maybe yeah. someone wants to bring their mom to work one day and she's a little old lady and the stairs are hard for her. Like it can be beneficial to so many different people than just the one that it was put in for. Yeah, and the most common accommodation, uh, Michelle, that I have seen is asking for a flexible work schedule. Mm -hmm. You know, and that makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. I love that. So it's not always about huge, ginormous, very expensive accommodations. It's often something simple, yeah, relatively simple. easy, but maybe not, you just haven't thought of it. And I yeah. love that. So if there's employers listening, I would suggest that they kind of take note and give that some thought because it's quite possible to be in this new shift in the world and to actually bring great joy, not just to your employees, but peace of mind to their families in the background. That's one Absolutely. less thing they have to worry about. That's Absolutely. wonderful. And for parents, I would really encourage uh, parents to take note of your child's strengths. Now, if they're four, it may change between the age of four and when they're employable. But if they're, yeah. you know, tweens or teens, this is a good time to look at what is your child really good at and maybe make some notes somewhere on that. What does your child love to do that could be an employability skill? What does your child, what are some of your child's triggers? That's really useful information from Absolutely. an employee perspective Absolutely. and for an employer to know. Absolutely. Um, right. And so making notes on that, you do know your child. So use that information to kind of write that all down. It'll give you an idea. What is your child interested in doing? My son loves cars. Now he is not going to be a mechanic, uh, nor does he want to be. It's really clear to me that he doesn't want to be the one responsible for killing the engine of a car, <laughs> but he loves to just be a part of it. He's great at handing things and he is really good at putting things away. Everything right. that he's got is super well organized, which the guys in the shop, when he does his work experience, they love that. They're like, oh, this guy just puts everything away from me. I don't have to worry about it. I just hand it to him and away it goes, right? So there are ways to work with your child's interests and strengths and accommodate it. I love that that's where you're headed with all this. That's so empowering and exciting to be a part of. And I really want to say that that's amazing. And thank you for creating it. So of course, now that we're talking about it, I'm guessing that there are going to be lots of people who might want to reach out to you. What's the best way for them to find you so they can have these conversations? So the best way to find me would be shoot me an email, um, you know, catch me on LinkedIn, on social media platforms. Mm -hmm. And um, my email is uh, priya at exonium.com. And, uh, uh, you know, messaging works great as well on LinkedIn. Feel free to just, you know, shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll be happy to uh, uh, respond back. And, um, yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm also willing to put up my phone number if, you know, free feel to even give me a call back call, mm -hmm. and I'll call back. <laughs> Amazing. And all that information will be in the show notes, folks. So if you're looking for the spellings of all these words, it'll all be there, especially exonium because it's spelled a little different than you might think. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll have that in the show notes for you. I do encourage you if this is something that gives you hope, or if you've got questions, reach out to Priya and have a conversation. Uh, it cannot hurt you, your child, your business in any way to open the door to look at how inclusion can work for you, for your family, for your business, uh, for sure. Um, and questions are great because it helps you get answers and it demystifies a lot of things. So I highly encourage people to do that. Priya, I feel so hopeful um, after this call. I feel um, very strengthened again to go out and keep looking and working and advocating for my child and for everybody else's child. Because frankly, as a mom advocate, um, 
we speak words that aren't just about our own children, but pave the way for other people's children too. Um, thank you so much for being a beacon of light and hope uh, in people's lives, for taking your son's diagnosis and turning it into a place of hope and joy and action. Uh, positive action changes the world, that's for sure. I really appreciate the time you've given us today. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you again for having me on this platform. And, uh, you know, you're a beacon of light yourself. <laughs> well, you know, we all got to shine our light together. We all got to shine, you know, that quote that we are all walking uh, each other by Ram Dass, you know, it, it, it is so true. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you again for being your amazing self and shining your light on our audience today. Does the thought of follow-up give you a foul taste? Do you find yourself wondering how you can ever stand out from the crowd, but need it to be easy and convenient? With a system like Send Out Cards, you can stay in touch and top of mind with only a few keystrokes. People's inboxes might be full, but their mailboxes are empty. Reach people literally where they live, work, or play, and watch the warm fuzzies go to work for you. See the show notes for a link where you can send your first card on me. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please submit a rating and review and share it with a friend. Together, we can inspire more people to start living their legacy too. And let's keep the conversation going. We would love to hear all about your journey in living your legacy and support you along the way. Join our Facebook community, Living Your Legacy Podcast, where we connect, collaborate, and celebrate each other. Can't wait to see you there.